0: Welcome into the Husker 24 7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts Brian Christofferson. It has been a couple weeks for us. I was basically unable to do a podcast most of last week. Uh, you still might hear some coughing fits. I'll do my best to try to mute my microphone when that happens. But I'm going to let Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson do the bulk of the commentating today. Gentlemen, how does that sound to you?
1: Sounds like a tall task, but
0: yeah, was it was it like, bron- I'm a tall guy. Get bronchitis? Was that what the deal was? Apparently, I mean, that's what I told the people at the uh, at the the clinic that I stopped by, and they didn't doubt it. And once they ruled out uh, COVID, they just wrote me the prescription that I've gotten every time that I've had this same exact ailment after every single football season since the beginning of time. So. I, I don't know how you guys are. I feel like I am guaranteed to be sick immediately after Thanksgiving every single year. It's the, the Mike Riley cold. Yeah. That's what well. you get.
2: So so you want Brian and I to commentate on on everything yeah. that's happened. I,
0: well, I thought you were gonna commentate more on, on my sickness, but obviously that one failed. So well,
2: I'm I'm glad you're you're back on
0: the mend. That's that's my commentary. All right. Well, oh, that's good. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into Nebraska's new assistant coaches. They got one last week and Mickey Joseph. They added two more uh, officially as of Wednesday morning. Donovan Rayola will take over as the new offensive line coach. Previously an assistant offensive line coach for the Chicago Bears the last four years. And Mark Whipple, the Pitt offensive coordinator, will now be Nebraska's new offensive coordinator one name that I think we all sort of targeted in pretty quickly once Nebraska moved on from Greg Austin another name that quite frankly wasn't on my radar until much more recently in Whipple Uh, I don't know which one of you wants to start or where you want to start but uh, I guess commentate
1: yeah I'm with you Schaefer I I always thought he was like a guy that you through on the list, you know, when you kind of put through your blindfold darts up about who could be the OC. I thought he was like maybe the fifth or sixth guy that you would throw in the list. And then it was, yeah, it was probably over the weekend, right after they won the ACC title game, which it became clear that he was within the top three. Um, it felt like Graham Harrell was right up there uh, coming out of USC. Obviously, Harrell's probably got some options. I haven't seen what's happened with him in the last 12 hours or if anything's happened. Uh, but, you know, Whipple's a guy who uh, the one thing you'd say about him is he's got an extensive resume that is well-traveled in both college football and pro circles. Uh, he was actually the QB's coach for Roethlisberger uh, back in Bill Cowher's Super Bowl Steelers team. You remember that game? They won, I think, <laughs> the Seahawks like 21 to 10 in one of the, there was an ugly Super Bowl. I don't want to knock Mark. Whipple's Super Bowl win, but you remember that one?
2: Oh, I remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was like a trick forget play, it, but
0: yeah, I remember.
1: They ran a trick play with Heinz Ward, I think. Um,
0: Is that going to be one of your leading questions to Whipple during, you know, access? <laughs> you feel like you really earned a Super Bowl that year? <laughs> Were you as bored as I was during
1: that Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> was it too much of a snoozer of a Super Bowl to count? No, I wouldn't say that. I think he he's got the ring, and he should wear that everywhere he goes. Um, but the point being, he's, he's been there. So he was with the young Roethlisberger when he was with the Steelers. He's been a head coach at UMass. His last stint wasn't quite as good, um, but he's still got like a 137-103 overall record as a head coach. Uh, so if if Scott Frost was looking for somebody, which he said he was a few weeks ago, where, hey, I can trust that I can hand this over to somebody who's sort of an authority figure, and he's going to run the really run the show on offense, and maybe bring some different pass concepts, pass offense concepts, uh, to blend with what Frost feels good about with the, with his run knowledge. Um, I I can see it, and he he brings an experienced voice. Uh, he's 64 years old. 64 is a new 54, I think, in coaching now. Remember when Mike Riley was hired? Everybody was really like it was like a thing, like about his age and stuff. And now people are past that with nick saban still rolling at 70 and all this stuff so um i i don't know i'm not gonna go jump jump up and down about the hire but i i i i'm also going to trust um that scott frost and those involved know everything that's riding on this and they probably thought about it from about every angle in figuring out who fits and why he fits and i really can't wait to ask ask some questions about, about why he sees it fitting into his puzzle.
2: The, the things that Scott Frost said that he was looking for, and we were told he was looking for was a a veteran OC, somebody who had experience calling plays, which Mark Whipple certainly does as Brian just laid out, Um, you know, at Pitt, he was essentially like the offensive head coach because he was paired there with Pat Narduzzi, who is, you know, a defensive minded head coach. So he basically ran that side of the ball. What, what that potentially does for, you know, Nebraska is if Scott Frost wants to take on more of a CEO walkabout type head coach role and not have his head buried in a play sheet, this would seem to lead to that conclusion. We'll see how much Scott Frost is able to actually go hands-off with the offense and the play calling and a make-or-break year for him. Um, but, you know, I, I, what I'm intrigued to see now, now that we have a name and, and somebody in that chair, is who's the quarterback? Because that's the next question around – Mark Whipple is, is, you know, he was pursuing graduate transfer, or not just transfer quarterbacks at Pitt right down to the last day before he was hired at Nebraska. We know that that's a direction that Nebraska is going to have to go. So is there somebody that he can bring along or, you know, what what kind of clay is he going to get to work with and what is a very, I mean, it's a, it's a sped up time frame. let's be honest. I mean, this is a make or break season. You are going to have this kind of hybrid whatever offense that uh nebraska is going to run and you have to install that and recruit guys and get ready to go for the spring so there's a lot of work to be done i think that this that the higher profile is what nebraska was looking for and i think that's i think that's a good thing um you know i I, i'm eager to see kind of how the the rest of the staff fits out around him because there's still a lot of questions there as we sit here on wednesday afternoon which we can get into too
0: What about uh, Donovan Rayola? Uh, This is a guy that he, I think has been an assistant offensive line coach for the Bears for four seasons now. He is a name that we know because of his brother, uh, Dominic, and then arguably because of his nephew, Dylan, the 2024 quarterback. Uh, This is – I would have said your two biggest hires were your offensive coordinator – and your offensive line coach, and we just got done talking about Mark Whipple, the offensive line coach, Nebraska in a make-or-break kind of season, is turning things over to a guy who has never been a offensive line coach anywhere near this level. Um, You know, so I'm really curious what you guys make of that decision. Am I overthinking it? Is it partly that you can do this when you have Frank Verducci uh, more than likely still going to be part of your, your operation involved with working with some of those offensive linemen as well. I mean, where, where do you guys come in on the, on the Donovan Rayola thing?
1: It's a, I, I agree. It's, I mean, it's a bold move to hire someone who's never really been the full-time O-line coach anywhere. Now, the thing we don't know is behind the scenes doing those interviews, you know, sometimes you're just, in a room with somebody and you're like, yes, this guy, this guy sees it. He's hungry. He's got that. um, He's sort of got that eagerness to uh, that he's going to succeed. And he's got ideas that I think are going to work. And so, I I mean, I sometimes I maybe give too much of the benefit of the doubt, but I do go back to what I said previously about there's so much riding on it. I have to think um, there were some pretty involved conversations that were had that where he really impressed, impressed them. And it's much more than just him having the name Raiola. Now the thing about him is even though he hasn't been the main guy for the bears, he's been their assistant guy. And he's basically had two mentors who are veteran veteran coaches like O-line coaches in the league. Um, and uh, Juan Castile, I think is the bears O-line coach now. Um, and he was a grad assistant at Notre Dame too. Riala was in t- 2015 and 16. So, um, you know, he's been around some good coaching, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they also interviewed Jeff Quinn, uh, is what we know, uh, who was the Notre Dame O-line coach. But, you know, I don't know if it was a, a deal where Riala just impressed their socks off and they're like, he's the guy, uh, we love his lo- energy and we you know even though he hasn't proven it yet we we believe he's going to or also if you wonder if Jeff Quinn also had options too you have to at least consider that because he's a guy who I assume has some
2: the the thing I kind of come back to is this this hire as Schaefer said is it's critical for getting this right and you know Dominic has or Donovan Rail has not had to, I'm going to do that a bunch of times, by the way, Um, rail has not had to, you know, recruit. um, He's not been a a full-time O-line coach at a, in a situation like this before. But to me, it seems like a situation where if you got to hit the ground running with the group that you have, if they can get more out of, Guys like Bryce Benhart, uh, Turner Corcoran. If you can find some depth there, maybe a Brant Banks or somebody that's already on your roster. um, In addition to, I I think they're going to have to go into the portal and and find some lineman options. But it seems to me that what you're looking for from that hire is somebody that can really kind of get things, get those guys excited, and, and get more out of that talent than what they have. Because it just the last couple of years, it's felt like you know Nebraska's brought in some talented offensive line recruits, but it's very much hit a point where guys feel like they've kind of plateaued a little bit in their development. And, you know, maybe they feel like Rayola is the guy that to make that help them make that next step. He's obviously a fiery, passionate guy, um, which I I think helps. That was kind of the, the one thing that, you know, Scott Frost talked a lot about this year was they needed more anger and, and, and guys firing off the ball. So you know, I, that to me seems like maybe it would be a jolt of energy for a group that, you know, was, was starting to feel a, a little bit stale um, after four years. So uh, it's a risk for sure, bringing in somebody with a, a resume like that. But but maybe it's a an opportunity to kind of give that group a shot in the arm a little bit, too.
1: I was thinking about the uh, the great journalism movie, All the President's Men, uh, when uh, I saw Ryle, name the first time. And you know when that Ben Bradley wants to take uh, Woodward and Bernstein off the story, he wants to put like a more experienced one and and the and the one editor argues for Woodward and Bernstein and he says they're hungry, Ben. Don't you <laughs> remember remember when you were hungry? So maybe there's some some of that in Donovan Ryle. I will say uh, as far as O-line coaches that we've covered at Nebraska before, John Garrison is a guy who in the Pelini era, if people remember, was basically an intern making 30 to $40,000 or something. And Pelini upgraded him. Uh, He shared some duties with Barty Cotton for a while, but he became the O-line coach. And honest to goodness, as I think back of O-line coaches or O-lines that actually like had some games where they grinded out people in the fourth quarter and and you know where they had some drives where they ran the ball nine ten times and had success I think of some of Garrison's lines and he's gone on to be a good a good coach so there are cases where a young guy who hasn't done it yet it doesn't mean he can't
0: I just want to throw out that Jason Robards was terrific in the, the role of Ben Bradley in that uh in that movie you
1: know he was you know the scene um, I'm talking I'm about though right
0: yeah i'm I'm among fellow journalism dorks I feel like I should be safe in, in being is that, to- is that why you were smirking when
2: I was talking you you kind of had this look on your face like either like something I said was stupidly funny Who, were me? you yeah you had like this kind of <laughs> your grin on your face was like you were getting ready to dunk on me or something
1: no 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 man okay. i I thought maybe I thought that all the president's thing was so so dang good I just had <laughs> Had unloaded. I was like, "Wait, till everyone hears this." Anyway,
0: <laughs> it was worth the wait. All right, one more existing. <laughs> <Yeah. coach. laughs> right. Mickey Joseph. He got in the. Uh, he he was hired before these other two. He's already out recruiting. He is going to be asked to do a lot of recruiting, um, just based on how this offensive staff is set up, and. He's already got the ball rolling with stuff in, in Louisiana. This is a guy that Nebraska fans know well. He's a former player. He's someone that uh, Scott Frost has been tied to previously as a, as a potential option. But now the Huskers have him. What are your guys' quick thoughts on on Mickey Joseph?
1: Go ahead, Bruns. You can start.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good hire. I mean, uh, obviously – you look at what he's been able to do on the recruiting trail in the past, um, you know, as a, a top 10 recruiter, according to the 24-7 sports rankings uh, in, in 2021, you know, the, the name carries a lot of weight. Um, you saw the offers that he made um, yesterday, but six, seven uh, offers in, in Louisiana to, to really talented guys. That's a state that Nebraska has kind of been out of uh, the last few years. I mean, does that ultimately result in anything? I don't know, but um, you also kind of look at what he's done as a, a talent developer and some of the guys that have come through LSU and played for him. I mean, that that certainly catches your attention as well. And it, it's an interesting group that he's also going to be walking into at Nebraska because the, to me, the talent is there um, to, to be able to kind of hit the ground running uh, with the wide receivers. I mean, with, with bets and Manning and, um, some of the, the younger guys in that program, there's definitely options um, to, to, to be able to make that offense hum a little bit. So it, it's a good hire. I mean, Nebraska, you know, reportedly offered him a three-year contract. So, um, you know, that that kind of speaks volume two to, to what it kind of took to, to get him there. But um, not a surprise hire. I, I think it'll end up being a good one. Like Schaefer said, he's going to have to do a lot of recruiting um for, for that staff the way it's currently uh, put together
1: yeah i think it's a immediate jolt to the current room um as much as anything like i have to think like guys like betts and manning uh who can come back for one more year and try to show that he is a pro type guy um this this has to really intrigue them and I, I think of the young guys too i think of like latrell neville uh, I believe was recruited somewhat by Mickey Joseph. I know he put that out on social media uh, when he visited LSU back in the day and he was excited about it. Um, I think Victor Jones Jr. is pretty excited um, to, uh, to get to know Mickey Joseph. And I think he's maybe the most exciting recruit in the class to me, to be honest. Uh, so I, I feel like it, it was a shot in the arm probably to those guys and uh, also I felt like last week when there was sort of some angst about where's the OC and, you know, this is taking a, it's going to go into next week. I thought it uh, was, it helped Nebraska sort of get through that week and, and, and kind of got people excited about something, you know, while they were still searching for the OC and a line coach. So that worked out from a PR standpoint.
0: I personally am excited for Nebraska to, recruit guys from Louisiana so when I call their head coaches I have to like basically try to decipher a whole nother language half the time so uh, very much excited for for more Nebraska recruiting in the uh, in the bayou so they're, they're already off to uh, a pretty good start I mean we'll see what happens with guys like uh, and we're, we'll get into more of the recruiting here a little bit later in the podcast but we'll see what happens with a guy like Dakota Crawford who was the only wide receiver commit in LSU's class. He's now opened it back up after getting a Nebraska offer. So we'll dive into more recruiting in a little bit. We're actually going to take – we're going to change it up on people. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the players that have since left the program since the last time you got to hear our beautiful, beautiful voices all the way back in November. So we'll discuss Damian Daniels, Adrian Martinez, some of those guys when we come back.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: All right, I promised that we were going to change up the conversation, and we are. Adrian Martinez's career at Nebraska, barring a decision to come back to the Huskers and leave the transfer portal, appears to be over. It was a strong four year run uh, for Adrian in some regards. Nebraska did not win a lot of games in that time, but he did win over, I think, a lot of fans with his tenacity and and, uh, how hard he he basically played and and sometimes how little help was around him. So I guess quickly, just uh, your guys' retrospective of of the Adrian Martinez era, all four years that he spent here in Lincoln.
1: Well, I... I wrote this on the day of his portal announcement. I mean, I, I do feel bad for him that he never had that breakthrough moment because he was a guy who was diligent to that cause and he played through a lot of pain. And, uh, you know, he was a stand-up guy as far as, like, being a public face for the program amid difficult times. And that's not easy to do. I can't tell you how many – we've covered some bad football around here. And a lot of guys – a lot of guys check out though, right? I mean, after like the third or fourth week, if it's not going so hot or how it was planned in August, you don't hear from him again or very often. And that was never the case with Adrian. He knew what his obligations were as a quarterback in Nebraska. And so on a personal standpoint, that, that means something to me. And I really respect him for that. I don't know everything that happened behind closed doors and what went into that dis- his decision. And I'm not going to gossip about stuff I don't know. Um, I think it was probably time for for both parties to to go their separate ways. I think it was just one of those points where you've traveled so far, it hasn't happened. Frost, really, I think it's important that if they're going to have success, I kind of want to see him do it with somebody else anyway because they're going to have to prove that they can win with somebody that's not Adrian because he was only going to be here for one more year uh, regardless, and so – I don't know. I, I, I kind of think it's the best for both uh, now that it's all said and done. It sounds like Adrian's going to go to maybe K-State or Cal. I know he has a girlfriend at K-State, and I only bring that up because he they have brought that up. Otherwise, I wouldn't. But, uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll have a lot of fans still um, here that kind of want to see him succeed personally just because he was a guy that, while he was here, was easy to root for. He just unfortunately in some clutch moments didn't quite, quite have the right ingredients.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good summation. I mean, I I think, I think we talked about this last time that it just seemed like the relationship had run its course. Like it was time for a break. Everybody needed to kind of move on. Um, I feel like with Nebraska kind of resetting the deck on offense, it needed to happen at quarterback too. Like I, I, it would have just been really odd to me if, you would have, you know, completely wiped out your offensive staff and then kind of said, well, we're going to keep rolling with what we got at quarterback. um, Because I think that's part of, you know, everything. It's part of the big picture. And like Brian said, I mean, I I think Adrian was a stand-up guy in terms of how he dealt with, um, you know, really from the get-go of, of, you know, being recruited by Scott Frost right out of the gates and, you know, standing up and, and taking responsibility for, a lot of, you know, really kind of tough losses uh, over the last four years. I mean, I, I, I am kind of eager to see if he goes someplace like K-State, uh, if he's able to win some games uh, or, or Cal. I, I just think uh, he just needed a change of scenery. But a guy that, like Brian said, you can root for, you can feel good about the way that he represented Nebraska, it's just unfortunate that, you know, for whatever reason, in, in a lot of big situations, he wasn't able to, to come through and win games.
1: Yeah, and you can't erase that part. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big part of it here. It is a bottom-line business, and people, they want wins. And the great quarterbacks here are ultimately judged by that. Sometimes it's not all their fault, but you still have that win-loss record that everybody comes down to. The one thing I'll say is he never, that I recall, threw his O-line under the bus, and there were plenty of chances to drive that thing, drive those wheels over those guys this past year, and I don't remember him doing that. Um, so I I like that part about him, and I, I don't think a lot of guys would have kept their mouth shut about certain things like that.
0: Yeah, I I think you you can definitely respect the way that Adrian went about things here, and um, you know I, I there's no doubt that he's tough and that he he gave it what he could, and I just feel like the simplest way for me to say it is that Adrian Martinez didn't fail Nebraska. Nebraska probably failed Adrian Martinez. He probably deserved a little bit more around him and they asked him to do a lot. And he gave a lot uh, in terms of physically his body. So uh, I I am really fascinated where he's going to end up and, and how he plays and and all of those things. And so uh, I wish him nothing, nothing but the best going forward. I would put, so Adrian would be the biggest loss that Nebraska has suffered I would put Damian Daniels right there behind him. Um, Nebraska's nose tackle. Moving on to the NFL, uh, Damian has been a big part of what Nebraska has done. The, the last two years, as they've attempted to slow down teams' rushing attacks. I mean, you can throw on the film from the Michigan State game, and he really controlled that line of scrimmage. And, you know, we, we saw what Kenneth Walker did to other programs this year across the country in particular one that's going to be have an opportunity to potentially play for a national title in Michigan and he couldn't really get anything going against Nebraska and, and a large part of that was Damian Daniels opening up things where the linebackers are going and doing it himself and so Damian is going to be a, a big loss he's a big part of that room in other ways too I mean one he's got a big personality and two I think you talk to guys like Casey Rogers and and some others and I, I remember in this in a couple instances with Rodgers, he talked a lot about the leadership void that Nebraska is going to have, you know, on that defensive line and, and guys like him and Ty Robinson have to take that on because, you know, Ben Stilley's gone. DeAndre Thomas, I believe is gone. And, and now Damian Daniels is gone. And that's, that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of guys that have, have been through uh, some different things. And it's going to be a very different look for Nebraska up front in some regards. And, and they're going to need, players like Rogers and Robinson to, to fill in, in leadership roles. And so um, I don't know how much more you guys have to, to add on Damian Daniels, but I, I do think that this is a pretty substantial loss. And as I look at that roster, I, I think Nebraska has to go out and find, and they're trying, they, they have to go out and find another space eater to put in the middle of the defensive line.
1: Yeah. Not surprised it's- he left. I mean, he he'd been here five years. And I know there's some smart football people say he could have, stood one more season to help his draft stock, but we'll see. I mean, I remember some people kind of scoffed it and I know he didn't have a long NFL career, but remember when Vincent Valentine came out and he actually came out early, early, not as after five years. And he ended up getting picked in the third round. And I know he didn't have the longest career, but he, he, he got where you wanted draft wise pretty much. So uh, I don't know. Damian might go a little higher than some people think. Uh, Cause I, I think he had a really good season and I think he's so valuable he's a valuable type of commodity at the next level. So I I could see him having some success and uh, having a career for a while.
2: Trying to think Austin Allen also was one of the, the, the announced decisions. Um, I think, uh, you know, most people would say the, the correct one for him based on the season that he had. I don't really know what else he would need to prove coming back, uh, next season. Um, but you know, the, the other one that's kind of still floating out there, uh, and especially in light of today's news with the Raiola hiring, is curious to see what you know Cam Jurgens is going to ultimately decide to do. Um, I would probably lean towards him leaning towards going, but um, I do wonder if, if having somebody from the NFL ranks now as his position coach, somebody that, that's very familiar with the center spot, would at least give him a bit of pause, about what he's doing next because that's another big I I almost got to think of like you know center nose tackle those it's like having a good catcher and a shortstop on a baseball team
0: yeah it would be a substantial blow um to Nebraska if if you really you know have to replace both Damian Daniels and Cam Juergens I mean two guys right in the middle of, of the trenches for you and and really I mean probably your two best players I think in the trenches so uh, the Cam Jurgens one is, is fascinating because I'm generally, and I, I I'm generally someone who feels like guys should go early when they have that opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's just, if you're ready to go, go with Juergens, maybe even more than Daniels or anybody else. I just feel like he needs another year of showing that the snap issues are behind him more than, than anything else. And, and here's the thing. I mean, guys get drafted as centers in the NFL and they end up as guards. I mean, ask, Ask BC about Pat Elfline, the great Ohio State center who might be one of the worst guards in Minnesota Vikings history. So, you know, it's not unusual that guys get moved around. And so maybe snapping won't be part of his future, but if his value is tied to playing center, I would think teams would have some real concerns about his ability to snap and snap accurately. And with only one real year of doing it without issue, that would, that would stand out to me personally. But, you know, from a physical standpoint, I, I think Cam Jurgens could absolutely play in the NFL next year.
1: The thing he knows that's in his back pocket, too, is if he tests, you know, like he goes to the Combine, he'll be a freak, like, at, as far as, like, O-line testing. I mean, think about some of the numbers he put up last winter here. So he knows that those things are going to pop, and that'll help him. But, yeah, Donovan Raiola, that'd be – I mean, I been, I'd be on the phone with him today. You know, I'd be like, let's get together immediately. That's that would be, that's like his first big recruit to me, because uh, they, they need that anchor to really build around and and give him a shot next year. So it, that that's going to be the first one of the big challenge. I don't know, maybe cam has got his mind made up, but I I would if he did, I would I'd definitely be working on changing it right away.
0: All right. Well, uh, if there's no, no one has anything they want to add on Austin Allen, um, you know, uh, great career at Nebraska. Not a big surprise that he's, he's going. Um, We will go ahead and uh, take a quick break again, and then we'll dive into a little recruiting. Nebraska has um, brought in some official visitors already. They have some new commitments. We'll dive into some of those guys. And then, of course, uh, there's going to be some transfer portal visits as well. So a lot going on in the recruiting front. We'll catch you up on all of that when we return.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
0: In the last week or so. Brody Tagaloa, a defensive line target for the Huskers, He is listed, I think, as a tight end on our site on 24-7 Sports. Some teams were looking at him for that. Nebraska likes him as a defensive end. Six foot four, 260 pounds. Goes to a really good high school in San Francisco or in the Bay Area uh, in De La Salle. Uh, he has had a very unusual career in that he has not played a lot of football. His freshman year was wiped out. He did not play. His sophomore year, he played his entire year. His junior year was canceled because of COVID. And his senior year, he got hurt very early and has not played a lot this year either. So he's kind of a guy that, for me, is really intriguing because he is a um, he is a lineman that um, Tony Tuioti will just get to mold a little bit. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of experience. He doesn't have a lot of bad habits that have to be coached out. He's just a guy that two will get to get to work with, get to mold, get to try to make better. Um, And it's someone that they clearly targeted, you know, all the way back into the spring, they were one of the first offers for Tagaloa. They have kept on him. They built that relationship and it culminated in a visit and a commitment, Brian. And, and I think that uh, he is a guy that is um, you know, he's the first defensive lineman in this class but he's someone down the line that I think could be pretty interesting if it, if he's able to stay healthy and it clicks for him. the other commitment, Malcolm Hartzog comes from Mississippi. I talked to, I talked to his coach, Lance Mancuso earlier this week, and he thinks Malcolm is a tremendous athlete. One of the best athletes that he's had come through there. And that's saying quite a bit because he's also coached three guys that are now NFL defensive backs. So Lance Mancuso, Knows a little bit about football. I think he's also won seven straight state titles for Jefferson Davis. So um, they're doing something right over there. Malcolm Hartzog was a big part of that. He played running back for him, defensive back. He played on every special teams unit he possibly could. Returned kicks. He played in coverage units. I mean, he's just a guy that it was hard to get off the football field. And I don't know that he's going to come in and be a, a great corner or a great safety or a great defensive back. But I think Nebraska looked at a guy like this and just saw him as someone who could really help with special teams who could be a good defensive back. Once he gets an opportunity to work with Travis Fisher and and get a little bit of time to develop, he's not the biggest guy. And you look at a lot of what Nebraska has recruited with defensive backs. They like longer. They like a little bit bigger, but if his athleticism jumps off the page in the way that Lance Mancuso says, and as productive as he was in high school, this could be one of those guys that Nebraska gets as sort of a end of their class addition that could pay off to be a really good player. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be the same guy, but a lot of how Lance Mancuso talked is how Cam Taylor Britt's coach talked about him. And he was someone they added in January as a guy who'd never played defensive back before. And so sometimes you just take, High uh you know, high intangible guys that are good athletes and you you kind of hope that it works for the best. And I think that's what that is with Malcolm Hartzog. So uh I don't know if you guys have thoughts on either of those two. Those are Nebraska's most recent commitments, but I will open up the floor and uh it is yours.
1: I have a thought on Hartzog. You know, when I read your story talking to the coach, the past Husker story made me think about was actually Alfonso Denard, uh who came from a small town in Georgia and um, really was sort of a word of mouth guy that that Nebraska picked up on who was just a great athlete, sort of like as you described him, who I remember that was the thing with Dennard. He could do this, that, this and that and all these things. It was like, how's he going to fit? I don't know. He's just a good football player. That's one of the best athletes I've seen around. And that's sort of how uh, this, this prospect has been described. So when I was reading that story, it gave me a little flashback to that. So obviously I'm not saying he's going to have the same career, but you would, you would take something like that, uh, any day of the week.
2: Yeah. The, the thing that caught my attention more so than, um, you know, anything was the, the, the return numbers that he had, um, was it 11 total, touchdowns between punts and kick returns like that that to me um at least seems like a guy who's comfortable doing it and kind of going back to what brian said about how we've watched bad football through the years we've also seen guys that have really struggled with decision making on kicks and punt returns and somebody with that kind of Comfortability, a, a kind of just the feel for it. I think that 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 matters. And you know, J.D. Spielman had it. Um, you know, when when you saw him return a kick, you just like, okay, this guy gets it. Like you, you don't have to coach him on it. Same thing with Pearson now. Um, and and that that might be something that stands out more about him having kind of seen his film. It was just the the return, and maybe that's the type of guy that can really you know, give Nebraska some options, potentially.
0: The well, Huskers have also been pretty active just in terms of recruiting in general. I mean, they're trying to, to round out as many guys in the early signing period as they can. And then, of course, add from the transfer portal in which they had Ryan Stapp in, the Abilene Christian defensive back. I thought that was kind of interesting um, because it, it just feels like Nebraska is going to end up with like seven defensive backs in this class. Uh, you already have Hartzog, Stanger, and Martin. Um, two of those guys could end up as linebackers because of their size, and Stenger and Martin. And then Nebraska has Jaden Gould, who came in to visit. He's a four-star defensive back that was committed to USC, who's wide open. He's originally from New Jersey, former teammate of Ramir Johnson. The Huskers had an in-home on Tuesday night. Uh, that one seems to be training pretty well. And then, you know, they're already setting up visits and and trying to bring in these other defensive backs as well, too. So it feels like that's an area that they've acknowledged that the roster, I wouldn't say it's slipped. But if you think back to the 2020 class, you lose guys like Jaden Francois and Ronald Delancey and Henry Gray. They really haven't replaced them. And so some of that is getting some of those bodies back on the roster. And a guy like Ryan Stapp, who would have multiple years of eligibility for you and has started as a corner. And yes, it was at Abilene Christian, but it gives you experience and it might even allow you to move somebody around in your own room right now. Like you have Quentin Newsome, he's going to be your left corner or right corner, you know, whatever that's locked in. Would it surprise either of you if Braxton Clark moved back to safety um, to try to take advantage of that a little bit, to maybe fill a hole that you have at safety with somebody at corner and that still leaves you with Lynham and Buford and, and if you can bring in a staff and some of these other guys? I, I just think that they're trying to, to think outside the box a little bit. And I just noticed that defensive back has as much, if not more activity than anything else so far. So uh, where are you guys at with Nebraska's defensive back room and in particular, what they're doing recruiting wise?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, you mentioned Buford, cause he's, he's kind of an X factor and all that to me, um, you know, unprompted a number of times from Travis Fisher Eric Chenander. You know, they, they they love what his long-term potential is. Um, at the same time, he's worked at corner. He's, I think, worked a lot more at safety than maybe what people realize and as a potential option there, too. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it, they, they've got to figure out how all the pieces fit together. I It feels to me like Braxton Clark is probably a corner long-term. I, I think Lynham probably is, but that's... That's kind of the, the positive, I guess, and the negative, too, of the way that they recruit those positions is they recruit guys who can be both. And, you know, the kind of looking towards next year, too, at safety. I mean, I, I, Miles Farmer had an okay year. I don't know that he necessarily had as good of a year as maybe what Nebraska was expecting. Um, they maybe haven't gotten as much as they would have wanted right now from, from Noah Pola-Gates like it, it feels like to me there's a lot more questions at safety than there are corner. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I think they're going to kind of bring guys in kind of, you know, throw some stuff at the wall and see who can kind of rise to the top. But um, I mean, even a guy like Gage Stinger, I talked to him this week after his official visit. I mean, they, they see him eventually growing into that Jojo dome and Isaac Gifford type role. And they're also going to give him a shot at quarterback when he gets on campus too. So um that's not you know necessarily a guy that you immediately plug into that safety spot and think he's going to be there for four or five years quarterback quarterback wow
1: starting quarterback you said
2: uh i didn't the, In my, the running? it might have glitched I, I didn't say oh. starting I mark whipple's already uh already mark, a big <laughs> mark whipple is, is that's his guy that's what i heard wow Yep. Yeah. breaking Maybe. news
0: do, Why did you wait do. until
2: 45 minutes in to say such a thing? I wanted to make people that that have waited this long uh, get give that little Easter egg in there,
1: A little tasty uh, treat. Yeah, uh, here's my Could bold. Better uh, it
2: on the board first, Brunts. <laughs> Nuggets go on the board. It'll it'll be on the board before
0: this hits. Yeah. Wow. All right, uh, Brian, do you do you want to weigh in on the, the defensive back room? I've-
1: Uh, One sentence. My bold prediction uh, right now. That's it. You're done. That's it. uh, Yeah, I used a (laughs) sentence. Darn it. Uh, Marquise Buford will be one of the starters at safety. That's my bold prediction. Wow. I think uh, Travis Fisher loves him. Did you guys go back and
0: look at your bold predictions for the 2021 (laughs) season? (laughs) Do you want me to run through (laughs) the ones I got wrong? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's just do yours. Uh, Adrian Martinez will start every game. That was wrong. Oliver Martin will lead the team in receiving. That lasted for one week. So, you know, one week out of, out of 14 for the season. Not terribly bad by me, but not great. Uh, what I got right, JoJo Doman would have more interceptions and fumble recoveries he had no interceptions in his career prior to this season. So, you know, that was pretty bold. Look at this guy over here. So uh, what else did I get wrong? I said that they would be playing in the guaranteed rate bowl. That didn't work. Um, Minnesota's there, right? That's where they're headed. Yeah. That's where, that's where the Gophers are going. Um, I think those are the notable ones. There's a, there's a whole article I could go back through and, and really look at it. I think I might have had something in there about the offensive line having a couple guys on an all big 10 team. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever.
1: We'll, uh, I was struck we'll by have. how when you talked about Austin Allen earlier and you gave us the floor, I was waiting for Brunson to kind of give a, a poem about Austin Brunch Allen. every, yeah, it's like you're dead to me, We're buddy. Done. You're gone. We've moved Prior on. Aurora, you're out of here. Yeah,
0: let's tore down the Austin Allen poster. You <laughs> <he> put up. <laughs> A uh, Thomas Fedoni poster, a Chancellor Brewington, and even a Travis Vokalek. So he's done with Austin Allen. Yeah
2: this this is a this is a Thomas Fedoni prediction account only now. <laughs> so, I mean, here's a question going into this weekend. I mean, this is the final official visit weekend of the 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 open period here before signing day a week from today. I mean, what, what, what level of busyness are you expecting for this weekend? Just as a, a preview with guys still very much scheduling official visits and everything else that comes with the, the, the portal recruiting as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think Nebraska is going to be pretty busy this weekend. I mean, we know, we know of a couple visits that are already slated right now, including a few portal visitors. I expect that they'll have uh, some more high school guys on campus. What I'm really interested to find out, Um, what I, what I want to know is will they be able to get any of these Louisiana guys in right before the early signing period? Because if you get, you know, DeColdis Crawford in right before the signing period, in theory, if he's ready to go, you got the last shot at him. You already have a coach that he likes and then he could go ahead and sign on, on Wednesday. I mean, this is such a big weekend for stuff like that um, that I I'm really curious like who pops up on the on the radar specifically for this weekend I have also heard and I don't know whether it's going to play out this way or not I've heard that there won't be as high of a percentage of early signers um, for several reasons one classes are smaller so that kind of adds into a big part of it two with all of the coaching um, uncertainty of the last two weeks a lot of guys don't know if they're actually going to get the paperwork from where they're committed to so it could be a pretty wild signing day a week from now um i don't know that on nebraska's end it's going to be particularly wild but you might see some like crazy flips or some guys that have been committed a long time that don't get lois from new coaches at those schools so uh that'll be kind of fun to to navigate and to watch but this weekend has this is, Pretty big potential for Nebraska. All right. uh, We're going to take one more break, and then we're going to come back and make everybody really sad because Bruns wants to talk about Nebraska basketball. Hopefully, you haven't been enjoying your day too much because now we're going to ruin it. Nebraska basketball is 5-5 five and five and look like an absolute tire fire on Tuesday against Michigan. I don't know where things go from here, um, but it's not good for Nebraska basketball. I have a
2: question to get things going on the, the basketball discussion. Brian, what the hell
1: was that? Well... It was a good thing about a billion things were happening with football at the same time because I was I was I was kind of dis- admittedly distracted through half the game with with that uh, and Donovan Ryola and stuff like that. But um, it's uh, it's one thing that Nebraska always. I mean, they were they came into that game shooting twenty seven percent from three point range. And what were they five of thirty five last night? I think did they miss seventeen in a row? I lost count.
2: They, they did. Yes. K, K- say got one in very late uh, to, to help break that streak.
1: The shot, which summed it up, man. I wrote, I made, I hope I got it right. My eyes. Cause I don't had, I didn't have my glasses on. So I think I saw what I saw. And I turned to a co uh, you know, a colleague in the media and was like, did that, was that what I thought it was CJ Wilcher? The game was tied at 13. Nebraska had had a little momentum for like a minute and uh, he, they have a break and he pulls up for a three And he had such exuberance behind it. And he misfired. He missed the rim by like two feet. It was like a line drive shot that I don't think hit rim or backboard. That's how I wrote it. I'm sorry if I messed it up. And a Michigan guy, I believe, caught it probably to help him out, to to rouse the ball to just hit a cheerleader in the head or something. It was just like that was Nebraska shooting the ball, though. And then Fred Hoiberg, I've never seen him – I mean I haven't been on the beat forever but that that was low. He was in a low point last the other night, you know, as he talked about he talked about himself as a former player and I mean he was calling guys out by saying, you know, I had nights when I couldn't shoot the ball but I sure as heck would have run through a wall on defense or tried to impact the game in any way I could and he was just discouraged that his team cuz they couldn't hit a shot just decided, ah, well, whatever, on the other end. He, he appreciated at Indiana, at least they fought, you know, on def- on the defensive end, and that just completely disappeared. Um, and now they play Auburn, who's a top-20 team, and they're going into Big Ten playing two weeks. I don't know, Brunts. I don't see a lot of things that make you think, like, oh, this can, this can turn around real quick. He's, he
2: seems out of answers. Is that fair to say?
1: With this roster, I think I, I've been a big Hoyberg believer and I'm not waving the white flag on the whole operation, but I think right now, 10 games in, he's, he's definitely at a point with this particular roster who they said they spent a lot of time thinking like this can sort of get that the wheels moving down the road of what we want to be. And I, I didn't go all in on it, but I was, I was, somewhat optimistic and when we saw him play in the exhibition game against Colorado who came into the season with some expectation and they move the ball around and shot lights out you're like they're gonna score a lot I remember that was what we're talking about like they're gonna shoot a few teams out of the gym and it's been the exact opposite where they can't I mean they can't hit anything right now
2: well that, that I mean we what would we it, well they, they might not win a ton of games or at least they'll be fun to watch but like this, this is like the opposite of fun to watch. Like it's, yeah, I, I was, the, the thing that really surprised me last night was how quickly everything just kind of like went out the window, you know? Like it, it feels like a team to me that the, the, the missed shots are just starting to permeate everywhere. Like the, the defensive effort is not there. I mean, you had a lot of times late in that first half where Michigan's got open shooters and rather than a guy closing out on him, you've got Nebraska players pointing to teammates to go close out on the guy. And it's just an open shot. Um, you know, you, you you know that you're going to get beat on the boards most nights in, in the Big Ten, uh, just based on how your roster is constructed right now. But you know, you, you have to make shots, you have to get out in transition, and, and you have to do the small things to, you know, stay competitive. And it just looked like a team last night that didn't like playing together. Nobody was, you know, the, Wilhelm was playing pretty hard. I know Fred kind of highlighted him uh, during post-game. He gets hurt. Um, you know, we're still trying to figure out what, what his long-term situation is. But – you know, it, it feels like a team that really is lacking the personality of a guy like Trey McGowan's like they don't have that guy on the floor right now. And it just feels like a lot of, you know, when, when they're on the floor, it feels like five guys who are all running different offenses and playing knee ball, And that's, that's not going to work.
1: Yeah. And sort of very much like Husker football, actually, when you think about it, they've blown their opportunities in a couple of games where had they won those games, um, maybe last night happens and people are like, well, that was a bad night at the, you know, opera, but you can, you can come back from that. If you win that NC state game, for example, if you don't lose Western Illinois right off the bat to start this season, you know, people would be sitting here like, Oh, they're seven and three. Okay. You know, whatever. it mean that you're Michigan. some Maybe they're going to turn it on and be a sweet 16 type of team. You know, they could, um, but let's get something straight. Michigan did not roll in the PBA just like as some well-oiled machine. I mean, they were a five and three team that Jawan Howard's trying to kind of figure that out. And also like Nebraska football has done for teams. Here you go. Here's a booster seat for the, for the opposition in the league, you know, and that's been one of the biggest problems for Husker sports. It's not just their own lack of success. You think about how they've, they propped up other programs and sort of uh, given them some momentum It that. That's also part of the discouragement, I think, to the fan base.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the, the thing that Fred mentioned last night, you know, about maybe they're just going to play, they, they need to find guys and play guys who can give effort, play with passion, that kind of thing. I I don't know what combination of guys is going to result in that. You know what I mean? Like you saw against Creighton that they got the bounce from, from Kobe Webster getting in there and, 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 you know, playing relatively well. I I, I just don't know what what that button is right now to where you're going to go and just stand toe to toe with, you know, a a team like, like Auburn. Like it seems like a team that's, hired and, and has not gotten over that, that NC state loss. Like that one felt particularly deflating given how that played out.
1: It was deflating because it took a lot of energy out of them. And there were like three or four instances in that game where you felt like they're going to win this thing. And honestly, if, and you don't want to throw it all on officiating, but there, there was a call there in the last second, which they probably win the game if you make a just decent Calls a referee on, you know. So this is all foul. Teddy Valentine's fault. Yeah, Teddy saying. Valentine. <laughs> Fred Hoiberg should write a strongly worded letter to to Teddy Valentine. But um, you're right, though. I don't know that because he's already tried different combinations. You know, the only thing I could throw out there, and this is not going to like solve it all. I'm not saying this, but if you want to send a message and just be like. I got to completely change lanes here. You play a guy, I guess, like Coran McPherson or somebody, who I do know is a defensive guy, who they were going to redshirt, and I think they were pretty strong in that belief even as a week ago. I'm just throwing it out there. If if you're like, I don't like what this roster's doing. I don't like how these guys – here's a guy – you've seen the footage of this guy. I mean, McPherson, like, even though he's not playing like at NC state, he's like all over the place, like picking guys up off the floor in the huddles. And he's been one of those guys behind the scene. And he's a guy who cares. And I'm not saying the others don't, but, um, I, I think he's a guy that like Breidenbach Hoiberg sees something in as far as just like doing intangible stuff. And like, you could build something with that. And so, I'm not suggesting they're going to play him, but if you're going to like, what can we do? I would have to consider something like that.
2: Well, he's a guy too, that I don't know how keen he was to redshirt, anyways. So, you know, maybe that's an option. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's things, things kind of felt like they were teetering before last night's game. And last night they teetered in a, in a very, very bad way i mean yeah that Mm -hmm. place cleared out by the midpoint in the second half and uh that's that's tough i i think and then that kind of gets your attention a little bit if you're trev alberts or certainly fred hoiberg too i mean that that's that's this has to be killing him given how much success he's had at other stops
1: it has to be pretty discouraging for doc sadler too who i mean you remember when he was a head coach here the one thing you'd say about his teams was they, they scrapped like heck defensively, you know, and that they, they were one of those squads where they are going to make you earn it. And, you know, that was the complete opposite of that last night. And that when I mentioned like a McPherson or some idea like that, that's not like, Oh, that's going to solve everything. You got your offense. You know, I, I'm just saying he needs to find a formula of guys that go, almost at this point, that are like those old doc teams in a way where it's like, we're going to, we might not win, but we're going to make you wrestle for it. You know, we're going to scrap and we're going to be on the floor and stuff like that. And they're not, they're not that kind of team right now. And it's, it's really, it is discouraging to watch. All right.
0: Uh, I, I, I had to take a phone call, so I missed all of that. Um, I'm it sure was re- it was really, and we we got Nebraska basketball so solved. Okay, you said, "Well, that's great. I will listen to the podcast and catch all of it that way. You don't have to tell me anything that you said, um, and we can go about it. We can go about it that way. Any any final thoughts here? This is our longest podcast in a long time for us.
2: Yeah, that's okay
0: we we needed, no, needed there's a lot of ground to cover. We needed to make up a little bit
2: after uh after sitting out last week, but we're we're back at it. We're we're ready to go. This is there's no off season.
0: All right. BC anything?
1: Nope. Oh, I uh I I just want you to get on this right away and listen to what we said about Husker basketball.
0: I will yeah. do that. I will uh <laughs> I will all hell I'll even transcribe it and see if we can make great content
1: out of it yeah too. that'd be a good idea
0: we were I was getting a little nervous watching you pace in the background there it seemed like a pretty intense phone call that's just how I talk on the phone I can't I can't sit still when I'm on the phone uh I have to be moving around and um yeah that's just how I am so uh if you ever see a fat guy walking around Lincoln on his phone it's probably me Well, all
1: right. (laughs) I have nothing to say to that.
0: (laughs) uh, We'll be back next week. It is National Signing Day, the early signing period. We will dive into all of that. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of coverage on that on our website at Husker 24-7. Be sure to check out that. Nebraska still has to hire one more coach. I don't know if you guys do math well or not, but three is not four, and that means there's still one spot left. Is it a running backs coach? Is it a special teams coach? Is it a clock management coach? Who knows? It could be anything. We'll see what Nebraska chooses to do. We'll have coverage on it whenever that happens. And uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week.